Certainly our God is a holy God, and we strive to be holy because God is holy. We are thankful for his great love, his grace, and his mercy. It's great to be here today. Thank you for being here. If you have your Bible, please open it up to Luke chapter 6. We're going to begin our study there in just a moment, Luke chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse number 27, Luke chapter 6. I know we have some visitors here. Thank you for being here. And If you're interested in a Bible study, please talk to me after services or talk to someone else. We'd be more than happy to study the Word of God with you, and that is what we do here. We want to teach people about our Savior, your Savior, Jesus Christ, and what all men and women need to do to be saved. And so we'd love to study the Word of God with you. I also want to invite you to come back before we even dive into the lesson this morning. I want you to come back tonight, Lord willing, at 5 p.m. Tonight I'm going to be preaching from Acts chapter 19. Don't turn to it, but Acts chapter 19 and verses 1 through 7. There's an interesting question that is that was given by the Apostle Paul. He ran into some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's an interesting question. How would you answer that question? Uh, there was some feedback on the survey uh, about doing some uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to try to do some teaching the next couple of weeks. And so we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit tonight. And love for you to come back and be with us tonight at 5 p.m. Now, to our study this morning, I want to begin by taking you back a year ago. I think a year and a week. Uh, one year ago, Nikki and I and Joshua, we were here at West Main. And uh, Nikki and Joshua, Joshua was looking at me weird. We had not, uh, Nikki and Joshua had not yet visited here, but we were uh, trying to figure out if we were going to come here and work full time. And I'm glad we made the decision to, uh, to do that. I'm thankful that you guys have allowed us this opportunity to be here. And I believe it was, no, I, I know it was Sunday. And I think um, after services, we had gone over to Kevin and Tony's house. Uh, there's always good food at Kevin and Tony's house and good people, too. And we went over there and we were driving back to Stephen and Christie's house. And so the three of us are talking in the car. We're laughing and things like that. I have no idea what we were talking about. Uh, but then I saw the lights. And you guys know what lights I'm talking about, right? When you see those lights, you get you automatically get nervous, right? Talking about the police lights. There is a police car behind me, and he was coming right behind me, which meant, uh-oh, I'm about to get pulled over. And so the police officer came up to me in the car, and he let me know that I had been speeding. And there was nothing I could do to try to talk my way out of that guilty uh, I, I can't remember what road that was, but I know they had a lot of hills and I just, I think I just lost track of how fast I was going. Uh, and I felt really bad too. one, because I didn't want to get a ticket Two, because Ken, uh, had preached a really good sermon that Sunday night talking about leaving a legacy for your children. And so now Joshua is saying, are we going to go to jail? What's going on here? And all this stuff and daddy's speeding and getting a ticket. I said, calm down. We're not going to jail. Police officer comes back and he notices, he says, your sticker on your windshield is expired. Now I'm really nervous. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be a huge ticket. But to make a long story short, and I was guilty of all of it. I forgot to renew the sticker. Um, but he came back and he said, look, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm just going to give you a warning. And I got to tell you, that felt really good. Now, I confessed my sin to Stephen. We got back to his house in the kitchen. And uh, we talked about that a little bit, but it felt really good just to get the warning. And I've done better. I haven't been, you know, I haven't been speeding or anything like that. I'm sharing this story with you because I got some mercy that Sunday night. I could have got and I should have gotten that ticket. 
But he showed some mercy and said, I'm just going to give you the warning. And I got that sticker changed fairly quickly and put the cruise control on 70 miles per hour when we drove back to Beaumont on Monday. So I wouldn't get another ticket. But it felt really good to, to receive some mercy. What I deserved was getting that ticket. And yet he showed me mercy. I, I'm saying all that because our theme for the month is dealing with mercy. And don't you love it when someone is merciful to you? Doesn't it feel good when someone shows you some mercy? I think we all would say yes. And yet at times the challenge can be extending mercy to other individuals. While we all want to receive mercy, we want individuals to be merciful and kind and compassionate and loving and forgiving towards us. At times it can be hard being merciful towards others. And yet that's who we are called to be. If you remember Luke chapter six, don't worry, I'm not going to preach the same sermon twice, two weeks in a row, although I really want to do that one day. But we talked about Luke chapter six last week. And in verse number 27, this is where we read from. And I want to read it again. Jesus said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You remember what we talked about last week? Please, someone nod their head. Yes, we talked about the idea that God is merciful. Did you see verse 35 and 36? He is merciful. He is kind to wicked and evil men. And therefore, our motivation to be sons of the Most High is to follow in his footsteps, to be like our Father in heaven, to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. He said that in verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So I want to talk a little bit more about that this morning. The title of my lesson is called Be Merciful, Two Possibilities. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. We all get a choice when it comes to being merciful. We can decide that we're going to demonstrate mercy in the way that God has and, 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 and forgive and, and be compassionate toward others. Or we can decide that we're not going to be merciful. And there, that's a choice that we get to make. And it's something that we have to constantly think about. We have been given great mercy. And therefore, we are to be full of mercy. That's what James said in James chapter 3. And yet at times, if not careful, that can be difficult. And I really want us to consider this morning one particular area where as we think about this idea of being merciful, and that is in the home. Uh, You know, it can be easy to be merciful to someone at your job or someone in the neighborhood or maybe someone you just don't really know that well. But it can become challenging at times when it comes to being merciful towards those that you may be really close to. I don't think that it, uh, hopefully it shouldn't be hard, but at times it can be challenging. And I want to share with you a story this morning from the Old Testament of two family members. And I believe we see something so strong here about this idea of mercy and how great things can happen when we demonstrate mercy to one another. 
And on the other hand, bad things can happen when we fail to be merciful. And we're going to see this as we look at this story. And so we get to decide, and hopefully we all will learn from this story, the type of people that God ultimately wants us to be. Now, the story that we're going to look at this morning is going to take us back to the book of Genesis. So please turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. In Genesis chapter 25, we'll do a little Bible trivia here. Uh, We're going to go back to the days of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, you remember their first son? Uh, Their son uh, uh, name was Isaac. And Isaac eventually one day would marry a woman by the name of Rebecca. And we're going to read about Isaac and Rebecca. And we're going to read about two uh, boys that they had. And this is a family dynamic that I want us to consider for a few minutes this morning. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. And it's a powerful story. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to do a lot of reading. And I want you just to kind of see this family and the family dynamics and what happens and, 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 and what happens in the future. And one of the amazing things about this story is the Holy Spirit doesn't hide anything. We see the flaws of these individuals from the very beginning. We see their mistakes. We see all the bad things that they did. And there's something something really powerful for us as we consider that. So let's pick up the story. Let's read about Jacob and Esau. And this is going to help us out, I think, as we consider this idea of being merciful. In Genesis chapter 25, Genesis chapter 25, we read about Isaac in verse number 20. He was 40 years old. Let's drop down to verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were two twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding unto Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So we get some details of what would happen uh, with Isaac, or I'm sorry, with Jacob and Esau. In verse 27, fast forward a little bit, it says, When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now, es- now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I think that's interesting. Now, Nikki and I only have one child, but do you see a little bit of favoritism here with mom and dad? You see some favoritism with Isaac and uh, with Rebecca. Parents, do you guys have any favorite? Don't answer that question. But we see that Isaac and Rebecca had a little bit of favoritism going on here. And that's going to pop up later on in the story, I think. And so Isaac or Esau was this skillful hunter. Jacob is described as a, a peaceful man living in tents. Verse 28, now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. So we we find this occasion where Esau has been hunting and he comes back to the house. Jacob has been cooking. Esau feels like he's going to die because he hasn't had anything to eat. In verse number 30, Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there for I am famished. 
Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Now, understanding that is really important as we think about the rest of the story. Esau was the firstborn. And being the firstborn during this time was a really big deal. There were a lot of blessings connected to those who were the firstborn. Hold your hand here and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 21. And Deuteronomy chapter 21, and we're just going to read a few verses here. And Deuteronomy chapter 21, and I want you to notice verses 15, 16, and 17 in Deuteronomy chapter 21. We get some details, and I think this just kind of sheds light on the benefits that the firstborn would really have. Deuteronomy chapter 21, and look at verses 15 through 17. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons, if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons. He cannot make the son of the loved the firstborn before the son of the unloved who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. That's just helping us to see that the firstborn stood to gain a lot because of who they were and the fact that they were born first. So when you go back to the story in Genesis chapter 25, the Hebrew writer will also speak about this story in Hebrews chapter 12. And it really is going to help us, and we can see it here, and you can also see it in Hebrews 12, just how significant this really was. This wasn't just like making some simple little trade. Esau is getting ready to give away his inheritance. That's a really big deal. He's the firstborn. And the fact that he's even thinking about giving it away shows, I think, a lack of appreciation for what he had and what he had coming to him. So in Genesis chapter 25, verse 31, Jacob said, look, I'll I'll give you something to eat, but first sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? This isn't a big deal. I'm not going to be able to enjoy it anyway. He would be wrong about that. And Jacob said, first, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He would regret selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. And yet that's exactly what he did. Now, fast forward in the story. Look over in chapter 27. As we're talking about this idea of mercy, I want you to see what happens here. Isaac is now owed. Isaac was the father of Jacob and Esau. And in verse number one, it says, Now it came about when Isaac was owed and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold, now I am owed, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. So his father was going to bless him before he died. So that's what he's going to do. He's going to go out and get some food. But look at verse 5. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me 
as I command you, go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there. So she's going to tell him, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up this plan. I'm going to cook some food for you, and you're going to go to your father and try to pass yourself off as being your brother Esau so that you can receive this blessing. Now, that's a really big deal when you really think about this. This man is getting ready to die. His wife is saying, okay, we're going to have this little scheme, this plot, and here's what you're going to do. And you continue on in the story. In verse 11, Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me. Then I will be a deceiver in his sight, and I'll bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. So watch what his mom says next. His mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. And so she's, she's setting her son up to, to deceive Isaac and to pass him off as being uh, Esau. Verse 15, Jacob, or I'm sorry, Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were in her with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread, which he, which she had made to her son, Jacob. Then he came to his father. Now watch this and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? So it already appears that Isaac, he's old. But he still got some, he still understand, <laughs> this sounds a little bit off here. Who are you, my son? Now look at verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. So in the margin of my Bible, I have lie number one. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? Man, you've already been out there and you've hunted and you got the food ready. And he said, because the Lord, your God, caused it to happen to me. The margin of my Bible there, I have lie number two. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, son. Feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He still had his hearing. He still was figuring some things out here. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. In the margin of my Bible, you know what I have there, right? Lie number three. He just keeps on lying. So he said, so he said, bring it to me and I'll eat of my son's game that I may bless you. So he's going to, he's going to bless his son. And he brought it to him and he ate. He also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father, Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. Why did he think he did that or say that he's still not believing that this is truly Esau. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord had blessed has blessed. Now may God give you, give you of the dew of the, of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. Many people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Sounds like Genesis 12 with the blessings to Abraham. And so he's blessed Jacob. 
Jacob lied to him three times about being his brother. And as soon as Jacob leaves, you know who comes in, right? Verse number 30, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. So he's cooking and getting everything prepared and, and made for his father. In verse 31, he said, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Now look at this in verse 33. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he? Then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. So Esau knew what was at stake. What was at stake? He knew what he had now lost. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Verse 35. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Make the story a little bit shorter. Isaac said, you've missed it. I've already, I've already blessed Jacob. And uh, Esau, he's going he's gonna to be begging in verse 38. You have only one blessing, my father. Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered him, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau, here it is, watch this. We read a lot to get to this. I had to show you the story. Esau bore a grudge against Jacob. Because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau said, I'm going to get revenge on him because of what he has done. And certainly there was bitterness and there was anger. And he wanted to take his brother's life. And so very similar to the beginning part of the chapter. Verse 42, now when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise, flee to Haran to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. And then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? So now Rebecca said, look, you got to get out of here. Go to my brother's house. You're only going to be there for a few days. Where it says a few days, if you mark in your Bible, in the margin put 20 years. Little did she know a few days was going to turn into 20 years. And yet that's what the story shows us. That he was going to leave. And he would have to leave because Esau wanted to kill him. Now, I'm going through this story because we're talking about this idea of being merciful. And so a long period of time has passed. Jacob is now working with Laban. And there's so many different lessons you could get from that interaction that he had with Laban. He's going to marry Leah. He's going to marry Rachel. And he's going to continue to work for Laban. And in Genesis chapter 28, we see here uh, that, uh, that Jacob would have this dream. 
And the Lord would speak to him. In verse 13, he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so God is going to tell him, look, I'm going to be with you. I want to be with you wherever you go. And so after Jacob wakes up, in verse 18, he arose early in the morning and took that stone he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel. And then in verse 20, he made a vow saying, if God will be with me, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So he made this vow of seemingly saying uh, of what he was going to do. And so as you continue on in the story, by the time we get to Genesis chapter by the time we get to Genesis chapter 31, Jacob is now ready to leave Laban's house. And we see here the Lord spoke to Jacob again in Genesis chapter 31 and verse number 3. It says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. And so now God is saying, Look, now it's time for you to go back home. And maybe it was to fulfill that vow that he had made years earlier. So now turn over to Genesis chapter 32. In the process of time, Jacob is going to leave. He's going to gather up all his family and his possessions. And then he does something. Now, 20 years have passed. And the last time he spoke or heard about his brother, what did his brother want to do? What did Esau want to do to him? He wanted to kill him. And Esau, being a a skillful hunter, probably knew exactly what to do and how to do it. But we find here something interesting in Genesis chapter 32. That Jacob is going to send messengers. It said, then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So now he's reaching out to his brother years, two decades later. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. You see what he's doing? Do you think Jacob was somewhat nervous about the response from Esau? He's trying to find favor in his sight, and there's no question at all. I would have been nervous. Wouldn't you be nervous? You you took this man's birthright, uh, his blessings, and you know that your brother wants to take your life. And so he's reaching out to him. Now watch verse number six. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. And furthermore, he's coming to meet you. Oh boy. How would you feel about that? Esau, the hairy man, he's coming back to meet you. But it's not just that. Look at what else he said. And 400 men are with him. So if you're Jacob, what are you thinking? One, he's got 400 men. And two, why is he bringing 400 men? This does not sound good for me at all. So watch what happens. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels and the two companies. So you see what he's doing? This is not going to work. This is not going to end well for me. I got to make some provisions here. I'm going to see what I can do to try to survive this and some of my other people as well. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. 
Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. Now we see what he's doing. He's praying to God. He said, and it's a powerful prayer. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant for with my staff only. I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he's praying for, for, for protection. Because he has this idea of what potentially is going to happen. His brother wanted to kill him. And so as you read verses 13 down to verse number 16, we see that Jacob is going to prepare some gifts and things like that. And in verse number 17, it says, He commanded the one in front saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong? And where are you going? And to whom do do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present <laughs> sent to my Lord Esau, and behold, he's also behind us. So he's trying to do as much as he can to hopefully soften the blow from Esau. I'm going to give you these presents. I'm sending messengers in front of me, and hopefully I'll be able to survive all of this. Verse 20, behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I will see his face perhaps. He will accept me. He didn't know what was going to happen. How is this going to work out? He wants to kill me. This is never going to work out. Maybe that's what he was thinking deep down in his heart. Now look at chapter 33 and verse 1. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming. So here is judgment day. And 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And there's some question about how he did that or why he did that. Maybe there's some favoritism there as well. Poor Leah. He put the maids and their children in front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last. No question. He favored Rachel far more than Leah. But he himself passed on ahead of him and bowed down to the ground seven times. I think that was a sign of respect until he came near to his brother. Now watch this. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. What an amazing response. That was not the response that Jacob, I think, was envisioning after taking his birthright, his blessings, all that, all that was entailed with that. And yet his brother is running to meet him embracing him, fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. You know what Esau did there? And I don't know when that change maybe took place. 20 years have passed. That's a lot of time. But you can see the mercy of Esau and the fact that he's not bringing up anything from the past seemingly. He didn't come there with a weapon in his hand ready to attack. But instead he, he went to his brother with compassion and he's crying and he's happy to see him. He lifted his eyes in verse five and saw the women and the children and and said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children and they bowed down. Leah likewise came near with her children and they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. 
And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. What a powerful statement. I don't want anything of yours. I already have enough. You keep it all. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he remembered everything that happened in the past. But now he's being merciful to his brother Jacob. And I think this was not what Jacob was expecting. You can read the rest of chapter 33. Here's my point. And we spent a long time getting to this point. My friends, what a beautiful story this really is. It's a story of compassion. It's a story of mercy. We see that Esau's anger eventually subsided. He loved his brother, and he could have dealt hard with him and his entire family. Even Jacob realized that. He didn't, though. He showed mercy. And there was reconciliation. There was love. And I think this is a strong story for all of us to remember of the possibility when one is merciful to another individual. Not just random people that we may be thinking about, but people in, the, people in our own home, people that are close and near and dear to us. Uh, that's the story of Jacob and Esau. And I know many of you already knew that story of Jacob and Esau. Now, I wanted to share that story because it shows a possibility that reconciliation can take place, that, that mercy can happen, that a person indeed can be merciful to another individual, even though that person has done them wrong. But there is another possibility, and it is connected with Esau and Jacob. You guys know where I'm going with this? Here's the other possibility. The other possibility is that individuals may never show mercy, that people can just harbor unto things or harbor these feelings and never decide to be merciful at all. And here's what I mean by that. It's the story of Israel and Edom. Now, when you go back to Genesis chapter, or go forward rather, Genesis chapter 36, and we're going to wrap this up in a minute here. Well, actually not a minute, but we're going to wrap it up here soon. In Genesis chapter 36 and verse 1, these are the records of the generations of Esau, that is Edom. We read a lot about the Edomites, this other nation that we see in the Old Testament and that we hear about quite a bit in the prophets. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau and Israel. They were the, the, the descendants of Jacob. The 12 tribes, Jacob had 12 sons. The 12 tribes of Israel would come from Jacob. Yet what is fascinating is this. Esau showed mercy to his brother Jacob. But the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, they would not show mercy to Israel. These are all family members. They're all related to some degree because they're, they came from Jacob and Esau. And there's just so many examples of this. Quickly look over in Numbers chapter 20. And I'm showing you this because I want you to see one possibility is that a person can be merciful. But another strong possibility is that sometimes people will refuse to be merciful. And when that happens, destruction eventually is going to come. In Numbers chapter 20 and verse 14 from Kadesh, Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom. So Moses and the Israelites are being, they've, been, they've come out of Egypt. And Moses sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel has said, you know all the hardship that has befallen, befallen us. That our fathers went down to Egypt and we stayed in Egypt a long time. So he goes through all the, the history and how God had delivered them. Now look at verse 17. Here's the request from the Israelites. Please let us pass through your land. 
We will not pass through field or through vineyard. We will not even drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or left until we pass through your territory. Edom, however, those are the descendants of Esau, said to him, you shall not pass through us or I will come out with the sword against you. It's a fascinating story because the king of Edom and the Edomites, for that matter, they said, no, we don't want anything to do with you. We're not going to show you any kind of mercy and we're not going to help you at all. And there's so many other stories. I don't have time. I have a lot of other verses in my notes, but you can look at this conflict that was taking place in the days of Saul in the days of Solomon and all throughout the prophets. Look over in Ezekiel chapter 35. If you were here this summer, we went through Ezekiel and in chapter 35, you read all about the Edomites and what God was going to do. In Ezekiel 35, in verse 1, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make a desolation and a waste. I will lay waste your cities, and you will become a desolation. Then you will know that I am the Lord. God was going to destroy the nation of Edom because of their wickedness and because of how they treated their brother Israel. They refused to be merciful. They refused to have any kind of reconciliation. They didn't really even try. There's another another small little prophet named Obadiah. It's one chapter. It's talking about the destruction of the Edomites. And time and time again, we read about what's going to happen to them. And eventually, what God said was going to happen, that is exactly what happened. And I'm showing you this because we are to be like our Father in heaven. We are to be merciful. Esau showed great mercy to Jacob. Edom, they said, we're not going to have it at all. We're not going to show you any mercy. And we see how that would end. And so you have two possibilities when it comes to this idea of being merciful. That we can strive to be full of mercy or we can decide that we're just not going to go down that path. And what we find and learn from Edom is that when there is that lack of mercy, there's going to be destruction. And so the take home of all of this is this right here. We got to ask ourselves, how are we going to respond And I went through a lot and I did that on purpose because these stories here are extremely powerful. Jesus was full of mercy. He is our he's our example. We are to be full of mercy. Jesus, he was full of mercy even when he came to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They treated him in a horrible manner, and yet he would still demonstrate mercy. He was merciful when it came to his disciples. He was full of mercy even toward his family. In John chapter seven, many initially did not believe that he was the Christ, the Messiah. And he was still merciful to all of these individuals. The fact that he still would die on the cross and give these men and women an opportunity to be saved demonstrates the mercy of our Savior Jesus Christ. He didn't respond with hatred or grudges toward them. Rather, he was patient in nature. He was kind, he was loving, he was merciful, and he still died for them. Just as our Savior, my friends, we are to be full of mercy We need to be full of mercy even when it hurts, even in our homes sometimes where it can be very challenging. We just saw this with Jacob and Esau. We just saw this with Israel and Edom, those who were close together. There was still at times a lack of mercy. You know what I think about a lot? I think about Adam and Eve. How does that work with Adam and Eve after you get kicked out of the garden? 
How does it, how do you recover from getting kicked out of the garden? They're still married. They still have to look at one another the next morning. They still got to figure this out. Your husband threw you under the bus and said, this woman made me do it. How do you recover from that? There's still that relationship there. And yet we see that somehow they would have to work through that. And yet we also see other stories where there was a lack of, of mercy and compassion and love. Cain, for example, he hated his brother Abel. It doesn't appear that Abel did anything toward him. He just was, was full of hatred. He was not full of mercy. And even when God said to him, sin is crouching at the door, he still did not listen. There was no mercy or compassion in his heart. And I, I just went through all of this because I want to ask you one last question. What is God going to see in me? And what is God going to see in you? Is he going to see hearts of mercy or hearts of bitterness, grudges, and hatred? Our God is merciful, and therefore he wants us to be merciful as well. Can I leave you with one last thought? I want you to imagine something for a moment. Imagine for a moment if the Holy Spirit recorded your family life for the entire world to see. We have the Holy Spirit's words pertaining to Adam and Eve. We get to read about their family. We have the words of the Holy Spirit that help us to see the story of Cain and Abel. We have the words of the Holy Spirit with Isaac and Rebekah and with Jacob and Esau. We get all these details. Imagine for a moment if our family, our story was recorded for everyone to see. What would be said about us? What would be said about me? What would be said about you? I'm certain the Spirit would record many challenges and disappointments, maybe even betrayals that we have experienced with our family members, because after all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But would the Holy Spirit also record tears of reconciliation like Esau and Jacob had? Or would he record hatred that runs deep like Edom? Would he record refusal of us listening to God like Cain did? Or would he record hearts transformed by the grace and mercy of God that has freely flowed to us. Now, our lives are not going to be recorded for the entire world to see, but God still sees what's going on. He sees my heart and he sees yours. He sees what goes on in our walls back at home. And while we may pretend to be living in a certain way, or hopefully we are doing the right thing, if we're not, then we need to remember this, that God wants us to be merciful. We need to extend mercy. And if we don't, then how can we truly be sons of the Most High? You see, when we extend mercy, we will be blessed. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But when we don't, doom will await. And so all of this is hoping us to see, let's be sons of the Most High. Be merciful like our Father in Heaven is merciful. I appreciate your attention this morning. If you're not a child of God, let me just say this here real quickly. God has been merciful to all men. The fact that he sent his son to die on the cross. And now is the time for you to receive his mercy by being saved, being delivered from your sins, being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We want to help you do that. You don't have to do it right now. We'd love for you to obey the gospel right now. But if you need to learn some things, we'd love to study with you. Make sure you have a good understanding about the commitment you need to make. But for the rest of us who are already in Christ, let us never forget the mercy that God has shown to you and to me. Let's remember this. There are two possibilities for me and for you. We can choose to be merciful 
or we can choose not to be. But we get to make the choice. And so we get to decide what we're going to do. Let not our hearts be stubborn. Remember our theme, willing to yield? That's what this is all about. We've got to yield to what it is that God says for me to do. So let's make sure that we do that. If you're subject to the invitation, come now as we stand and as we sing.